Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. So part of me always wanted to make records, be that producer, that engineer. And on career day, I remember saying, you know, the teachers would say, oh, you could be a doctor, a lawyer, a engineer, whatever you want to be. And I said, I'd like to be a record producer. And it's like, oh, you can't be that. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? Some bands you work with, like the Tragically Hip, Every day is different. The set list is different. The show is different. I look at producers that I really like, and they're people that are really diverse. There's the people that can do hip hop, that can do rock and roll, that can do any style of music, and they let the artist come through. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and not joining me this time is our co-host, Fred Keating. Fred is in another exotic location. He's arranging for some other interviews while I'm in a very special place. I'm on Salt Spring Island off the west coast of Canada. It's a location you might not actually expect, but I have some great reasons to be here. I'm with an old friend, Mark LaCour. Mark is an audio engineer and producer. He's worked on some very big projects for some very big artists, people like Dan Seals, The Tragically Hip, Jan Arden, Dido, 5440, In Excess, Avril Lavigne, Lilith Fair, and others. This guy really knows his stuff. Thanks for having me, Mark. Good to be here, Marvin. Mark, we're sitting outside the Treehouse Cafe. This is like a local legend off the west coast of Canada. Tell me about the Treehouse Cafe briefly. Uh, my wife and I came here on vacation almost nine years ago and uh, fell in love with Salt Spring and fell in love with the treehouse and we were having lunch one day and we said, oh, this place is perfect. It's too bad it's not for sale. And well, it turned out it was for sale and you know, four months later we were living here. Mark, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Treehouse Cafe in a few minutes, but I wanted to talk about your backstory. You and I, of course, go back to high school, and at the time, I knew you as a musician, but your career path took a, a different angle, didn't it? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think a lot of kids, they listen to their favorite records, and they, they want to be that guy, that singer, that guitar player, and, you know, I was learning to play guitar, and I wanted to play guitar, but... I listened to Beatles records and I wanted to be George Martin. And of course, George Martin was the Beatles producer. Yeah, and arranger, and he was, you know, people say he was the fifth Beatle. And so part of me always wanted to make records, be that producer, that engineer. And on career day, I remember saying, you know, the teachers would say, oh, you could be a doctor, a lawyer, a engineer, whatever you want to be. And I said, I'd like to be a record producer. And it's like, oh, you can't be that. You know, that's because there was no... There wasn't the kind of trade schools there are now. There wasn't, you know, uh, any of the colleges where you could learn to be a sound engineer, a video editor, film schools, things like that. They, they just didn't exist. So I just kept playing guitar and, just, you know, joined a band. And, uh, you know, I played with your brother some. And I played with, you know, other guys I went to school with. And, and you know, I was always the guy that set up the sound. At the time, it was very primitive, a couple mics, a few speakers. And, and eventually, the bands I started working for, uh, you know, I was doing more audio than I was doing playing. So I just, you know, one, one day a friend of mine said, oh, why don't you do sound for my band? And I realized I could make twice or three times the money as playing guitar. And I kind of liked it more. I was really good at it and it harkened back to when I was young and I wanted to be George Martin. So this was kind of my way in. Now, again, you've worked for some very big name acts. I mean, I mentioned Tragically Hip. This is 
this is big stuff. How did you make that transition into working with people like this? I started out just working in bar bands and, you know, in Alberta and all across the prairies in Western Canada, there was a lot of clubs, six nights a week. There was, in a small town, there'd be two rock bars and a country bar in a city like Edmonton where I grew up. There was probably 30 clubs that had music. So there was some really, really, you had, you had a chance to, to hone your craft six nights a week. You know, if you look at the sort of the international music scene, there's a lot of engineers from Western Canada that have done very well for themselves. So I just sort of started moving up, you know, to better and better and better bar bands. And then I think the first sort of big, I worked with Patricia Conroy, who's a country singer, uh, through a, a friend from college. And, you know, that got me, oh, through her, I worked with Dan Seals because they had the same management in Nashville. And then I hooked up with uh, 5440, again, just word of mouth. And that kind of led to, you know, bigger and bigger things. And then eventually, just sort of, just after I had my son and I was maybe thinking about retiring from the road, I got a call from the Tragically Hips manager. And it, was, it had been a dream of mine to, to work with them because they're, they're princes of human beings, all of them, great, great people. And, uh, and always, they've always been my, my musical heroes because they have a lot of integrity. They have success in their own terms. And I just, I felt fortunate to get to do a few tours with them. So tell me about this whole principle of developing a stellar reputation for yourself, getting that word of mouth out there, and then people just get to know you and they call you. Well, I think I've just always had the philosophy to be great. You know, like I said about the hip, success in your own terms. Like, you know, you're working in some dump of a bar on a Thursday night and no one cares but you. And it's, you, you know, the band's doing their best and you're doing your best and you're playing like you're playing at Madison Square Gardens. So you just keep doing your best and, you know, people notice. And then the next band, somebody sees you, you're playing some club and they go, hey, this guy, the band sounds great. And the next band hires you and you just, I just got lucky enough by, you know, a lot of hard work and a lot of hours and dedication and caring that, uh, you know, I got lucky enough to keep working with a better and better and better and more successful and more successful band. You're so modest, Mark. You, you mentioned luck about seven times there, but I guess luck is part of it, but I think it's also because you do such good work, people notice your good work and word gets around. I think it was Mark Twain who said, I believe in luck. The harder I work, the more of it I have. So it is it is kind of that. There's a record company and a management company in Vancouver, Network Records, and uh, I was working for the audio company Jason Sound and we were doing Lilith Fair and I got to meet a lot of artists on that tour and the management company for Dido was also soon to be Network Records and they I hooked up with Dido that way and you know I got to tour the world because you know I started with her when she was basically a van act just traveling around and a really really low level hadn't sold any records yet and you know by the time I was done touring with her, she'd sold 25 million records and was a huge international star. So, and through network, I got a lot of other work as well. So, and there's a, a really good core of people that, you know, uh, lighting guys, uh, visual people, stage techs that, uh, you know, all work together. And, we, you know, I was pretty lucky to work with a really good core group of people. And just so we're clear here, what you were doing at that time was live concert sound, correct? I mean, the stakes are high. You can't get that wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I love about live music. It only happens once. That show you see that night, it's never going to happen again. Records are great, but you're trying, to, you're trying to get perfection in some ways, or maybe you're trying to capture a moment. But that moment that happens that night is only going to happen that night. And, you know, some bands you work with, like the Tragically Hip, 
every day is different. The set list is different. The show is different. I look at producers that I really like, and they're people that are really diverse. There's the people that can do hip hop, that can do rock and roll, that can do any style of music, and they let the artist come through. Like somebody like Daniel Lenoir, a good weird guy who will just let, you know, whether it be Bob Dylan or Neil Young or whoever he's working with, he kind of, or, or you too, you know, he lets the band shine through. That's what I've always tried to do as a live sound engineer, just listen, shut up and listen, and try to capture what the band is doing. And there's 20,000 people in a stadium. You want every seat in the house to sound the same. So there's the technical part of it, and then there's the balancing of things to try and capture that feel that the band has got going on on stage. I think one of the reasons that I started doing that is I would stand the side of the stage with my favorite band and there'd be a feeling, an energy, a, you know, something about their sound. And sometimes you'd walk out on the other side and, and, and the, uh, into the audience and the engineer wouldn't be capturing that feeling. So, you know, that's kind of what I've always tried to do is capture that heart and feel of the band. Now, of course, you are an absolute master of live sound in concerts and stadiums and that sort of thing. I mean, evidenced by people like the Tragically Hip and Lilith Fair and 5440 in excess. People like this hire you because you're a master. You also do studio work as well, and that's something that I want to return to in another episode because I think that's a, a related but different topic, and I know that you actually own a studio here on Salt Spring Island, so I'd like to talk to you in some detail about that. But something I also want to talk about now is something that you and I had talked about before we started to roll, and that is this whole idea that you don't need to be the star in order to earn a good living in this business, that there are niches that you can play, like you have, where you, you make a good career out of it. Tell me about this. Yeah, I, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, I said, career day, I'd like to be a record producer. And it was like, oh, you can't do that. I think there's less of that now, but more just, I think people look at the TV and they see the actor. They go see Star Wars and they see the actors. They What they don't see when they listen to a record or watch a movie is all the, you know, especially movies, there's thousands and thousands of people that work on those movies. There are a lot of really, really creative careers. And I think people get lost on the stardom of it. And I tell young musicians all the time, you know, you can make a living at this. You might not necessarily become a star because there's a bit of a lottery to that. But if you put your heart and soul into it, you can be successful in your own on your own right and make a living. I've always said, what does it make more sense? You can, can you, can you make a good living being something you choose to be an accountant or a lawyer because you want to make money? Or do you want to pick something you love doing, writing, singing, a photographer, what, whatever creative thing you have, if you have a passion for it, go for that and don't just think the obvious. There is a lot of sort of commercial aspects to things that you can make a good living at and be very successful if you look beyond just becoming a star. Mark, I know you're a great mentor for the next generation and it's why we're doing this interview here at the Treehouse Cafe because you actually create opportunities for the next generation of musicians. We don't have a lot of time now. I think I'd like to do an entire episode about the Treehouse Cafe, but briefly, tell me what goes on here with the live music. There's been music going on here for 19 years, so nearly 20 years. So the tradition predated me by almost 10 years. And I think it started out with, you know, solo acoustic acts and, you know, just 
over in the corner of the restaurant, taking up as little space as possible. But when I took over, we really tried to up it and we started, you know, obviously upping the production value a little bit and, and really encouraging, I mean, besides the, there's a few people here like Randy Backman lives here and Tom Hooper from the Grapes of Wrath and uh, uh, Harry Manx and people like that. And Harry's played here. Tom plays here all the time. There's tons and tons of unknown, unsung, older and younger musicians that, that live here. And, you know, we really encourage people to play their original music, write their own songs. And, and uh, you know, again, there's a place for people to play every night. So having that opportunity, a music scene needs venues, needs places to play. When I lived in Edmonton, there was half a dozen places where you could play original music six nights a week, seven nights a week, which is huge, you know. So right now there's music at our restaurant, the Treehouse, the Oyster Catcher, just, you know, across the laneway, they have live music. Just across the other side of the bay at, at Moby's, there's live music. It's really important to have, it's not competition, this is a good thing. You need places for people to play. You need to create those opportunities. If there's an opportunity, suddenly a band will, will, will form because, hey, there's a gig. And three or four or five musicians that didn't play together before will form a band because they can gig. And they'll create something unique and original that wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been a place to play. Great. This sounds like a fantastic topic for something that we can do an entire episode about. So let's do that. Mark, can I come back? Can I visit you again? And, and let's talk more about the Treehouse Cafe and what goes on here. Yeah, that'd be great, Marvin. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity. <laughs>